Mariner, you gotta get me out of here. They keep showing me lights. No, I am still mad at you. Wait, if we're going to the Titan, but you knew I wanted to get a promotion. You're supposed to be my mentor. I'll step off in the middle of my shift without saying goodbye. You know who my best friend is now? My mom. It sucks. It's like work. Look, I'm a hologram, okay? I'm sure real Boimler had his reasons. I don't know. Maybe did you ever intimidate him? What? No, shut up. No, no, no. Mariner. You're abandoning your fellow officer? Yeah, well, he did it first. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the animated bridge... This is Tyler Orton getting kicked in the neutral zone. <laughs> and we're here this week to tackle the premiere of Season 2 Lower Decks, Strange Energies. This is very exciting. Uh, is it? Well, <laughs> it's exciting to have Lower Decks back. Let me stop yeah. there. <laughs> um, This episode, I, I was anticipating it so, so much. And I honestly found myself very underwhelmed with the premiere. I think this might be my least favorite episode yet. That doesn't mean I don't like the show. That doesn't mean I, I don't think uh, it can rebound quite easily in, in the ongoing weeks. Uh, this one just did a uh, little for me, and I, I can kind of break down why in a few minutes. But, uh, Cam, what was your initial reaction to this? I was in the same ballpark. I actually found this one frustrating in that it was recycling a lot of things I'd seen before on the show already. And this is your premiere of season two, right? Like... Don't you kind of want to come out of the gate and grab people and be like, hey, remember Lower Decks? We're back, baby, especially coming off that finale of season one. But again, we can get into this when we actually dive into the episode. But I found this one very underwhelming and the sort of episode that I would normally think would be dumped at like episode six or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, look, I'll, I'll just break it down. Um, For me, when it comes to narrative storytelling, I, I don't like it when the circumstances are so outrageous that I ultimately just check out because I know it's going to be resolved. You know, Ransom here, he gets godlike powers. He is the lion to a Gary Mitchell's aunt. And, hmm. uh, but Ransom doesn't have his faculties. He's a main character. We know it's all going to be resolved in the end. And we also see Freeman freaking out over the potential to be a captain of a capital ship. Um, she in, tr starts resolving things and then it's a kick to the nuts that's that's what ultimately resolves the character dynamics going on here and i i just and i i didn't laugh at, uh like laugh out loud once cam the, the biggest um at least uh under the breath chuckle i got was the return of Riker and him uh talking about you know this jam's got too many licks and then the uh, his warped face at the end that got the biggest amount of amusement from me and what does it say about a show if it's a legacy character is it just me and nostalgia getting to me at this point like I this one just I I don't feel great about how we started off uh season two here yeah I mean for me it was the Riker moment and also just the way that um uh, the pronunciation that Don Lewis gave of the line, full stop, mister, this is my ship, that got a laugh out of me. It had, like, a personality to that line reading that I just thought, that's fun. Like, that's an actor having fun with a line. What can I do with this? But the Ransom stuff, we'll start there. Because the idea of him being taken over by an alien entity, 
It's a funny idea. We've seen that on Star Trek many times. I think of, you know, the Reckoning from DS9, where we saw a couple characters taken over by Paul hilarious. One of, one of my classic, one of the funniest episodes they've ever done in Star Trek. Exactly. I mean, an iconic <laughs> episode that fans get together every year at the cons just to talk about all the wonderful storytelling going on there to recreate those moments. But I love um, shooting lightning bolts out of my fists. Yeah. <laughs> but it is something we've seen. You know, they reference Gary Mitchell a lot in this episode as well, which I'm sure plays very well to people that don't really watch Star Trek that much. But nonetheless, I thought that was amusing. Um, but okay, so the, the joke is this character gets taken over by, by alien energy. Okay, and what's the joke? Like, that's the thing. They didn't really have a lot to work with. It's a lot of him just, like, screaming. We get workout jokes, which we've seen time and time again with the character. And he keeps underlining the conflict of the episode, you know, yelling about how now that Freeman and Mariner are at least faking that they get along, he's pushed out of the the triangle and, um, or sort of out of his um, second-in-command position. And that's fine, but it's a character just largely yelling about the conflict of the plot for the episode without finding anything else funny they could do with this fact that he's taken over by godlike powers. I don't mind that he's a character who's obviously, look, we know he's going to be reset by the end of the episode, but like, there better be a comedic spark to this that's the reason we're doing it. Like, it better be funny. That's my problem more so. Well, like, you, you, you asked a very good question, you know, like, what is the joke? And you're talking about kind of the, the broader sense of it all, you know, like, what's the real conceit here that we can mine for comedy gold? And he said, well, there's the workout stuff. That That's that's a gag, you know. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't lend itself to the overall joke of it all. And I, I just, I don't know. And also, what, what was Ransom's character journey through this? Like, I think by the time he ends up in the... Um, I don't know, the, the, the much-feared uh, trip gets rolled into his death uh, sort of uh, MRI machine. Um, did he change? Did he learn anything as a character? I, I mean, like, he had some sort of alien life form take over him, give him godlike powers, and seems like the same person at the end of it all. Well, no, he just, act, uh, he just acted as a vehicle to convince Mariner and the captain that they were faking getting along, so it essentially reset the status quo to what it was before, where he will assume the position he had before, which isn't about him actually doing anything himself. It's just him relying on other characters to, you know, allow that to happen. And is that what we want? Like a a reset to the status quo after like a very strong season finale? No, no. I mean, I I thought this one was a little shaky off the bat where um, we had Mariner in the, um, on the holodeck doing the kind of the nod to chain of command part two, you know, that's a fun idea, but, she was recapping basically everything that was going on with the relationship between her and the captain. I'm like, okay, I get that they're couching this as sort of a therapy session for her, but it feels weird that they're telling us all the conflicts going on without showing us. Like she's saying, you know, um, my mother and I are getting along great, or at least we're pretending to and things like that. And it's like, why don't you just allow us to spend time with those two and see the cracks ourselves versus a character reciting what's going on to the audience. It's one of the criticisms that we often have with Discovery and where they uh, tell, don't show, which is kind of the opposite thing that you're supposed to do in storytelling. And it's a bit frustrating there. Um, you, you also said that it is, you know, like kind of repeating itself to a certain degree. And one of the formulaic tropes that I've noticed to emerge throughout uh, Lower Decks, and again, I, I want to state I like the show. I, I genuinely like the show. Maybe you and I are critiquing it a little bit harshly just because our expectations are a little bit harder, but um, there's the kind of this formulaic 
comedy bit where, you know, someone on the ship does something very questionable. They admit it. Then another character's voice heightens. You did this? I can't believe you did this. And then it's revealed. Oh, it's all good. That makes you my best friend. And it's like, I, I think we've seen that like maybe four or five times now in about 11 episodes. I'm just like... I don't know. One of our other things that we had been hoping for early on in season one is that maybe the show is just a little bit edgier, just a little bit more cutting with its jokes. And I wonder how much kind of the um, the suits are saying, like, this needs to be a really positive show. All Everybody is is supportive at all times, even if there's a little bit of conflict in between. And it's kind of like... I don't know. It, it, it comes off a little bit full house esque to a certain degree. Yeah, uh, I agree. And I think one thing also is that to uh, bring the Simpsons into the picture, you look at the characters on the Simpsons. Um, Homer Simpson is obviously a meme machine for a reason. It's because you constantly find new angles on that character. And I'm speaking really only episode uh, seasons one through ten because that's about where I check out officially as a hardcore Simpsons fan. But the fact of the matter is they would evolve those characters as to what could be funny about them. And they don't yet seem to be doing that with some of these characters. Like, a lot of this episode depends on the joke of Ransom working out and playing the guitar. But it's like, teach us more about these characters. There's more that's funny to them. We can introduce elements. We can introduce, you know, foibles they have as characters. It feels like sometimes this show also has, like, picked its thing. Here's this character's thing, and we just kind of hit that nail on the head, and there's more inspired ways to do it than in this episode for sure, but this episode seemed like kind of doing that the lazy way, and I would like to see them show us some more things about these characters. I don't think Mariner's entire character can be summed up as like, you know, I just want to do whatever I want while working under my mother. Like, I think there's more to that character, so let's continue to find new foibles. I don't think it would be outlandish to introduce a new element to the character in this episode whether it's her whether it's ransom whether it's any of them to play with going forward when you see labels like uh works out plays guitar that seems more like an online dating app whereas <laughs> you kind of get to know the actual person uh in real life and there are more layers to them they're more than just what those simple labels you know show you and, and i i just I, I wish they kind of dig in to that a little bit although i don't know if ransom is necessarily the deepest character that we have on the show i don't think he's deep but i don't think like homer simpson's the deepest character in the world either or you know mr burns or any of those simpsons characters the fact is they find different ways to angle in on them to make them funny and it feels like lower decks is just coming head on every time it's like work out guitar work out guitar we don't have anything else yeah, I, I think as soon as uh, Ransom stops speaking in the Walter Matthau voice, then we know that the characters really come <laughs> around, right? Hey, Bart. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe we can dive into some things that kind of adds to the mythology and the world building that uh, we're seeing in the, in the series. You know, when the, the teaser starts out with the shots of the Cardassian warships and those kind of stations that we saw throughout the Dominion War, uh, and I... I was a little wary. I was just like, is this where we've come with the Cardassians? You know, after the Dominion War, like, they're, they're still adversaries. Uh, I, I was a little bit uh, perturbed just because it seemed as if the Cardassians were kind of reverting to their old ways. And I had in my head that the Dominion War would have fundamentally transform society. But the fact that they quickly made it clear that it was a holograph or a holodeck program, 
I breathe a sigh of relief. You know, I, I picture it more like, um, you know, Germans, uh, they're uh, among the closest allies uh, to our country. But that doesn't mean you can't turn on like a World War or a Second World War film and recognize that there are going to be some Nazis uh, from the past. And maybe this is just kind of one of those sorts of reenactments. But um, I don't know. Where, where do you picture the Cardassians being at this point? Do you think they could still be an adversarial force in this era of Star Trek? I feel like by the end of DS9, they're in a very obviously fractured place, but I do think there would be certain at least segments that would have this sort of more villainous edge to them. I don't think it's going to be like a monolithic, um, now we are this. I think it could maybe splinter apart where you could have some factions like this and others that are perhaps trying to evolve into a newer, maybe more positive Cardassia. I just don't think it's going to be like an easy, uh, you know, flip the switch kind of thing for the Cardassians, especially given the history they've had on the show so far. I agree for society, it's going to be very difficult, but on a practical perspective, um, they lost the war. They were obliterated. Uh, I think at the final episode, they said at least seven or 800 million people had died uh, on Cardassia Prime. I, I'm sure it could be more. I think the, like, in my own head canon, like, uh, I don't think they just, the Federation, the Klingons, and the Romulans just walk away and say, okay, we'll keep all your warships and uh, you guys... Uh, just behave now. I, I mean, they're signing peace treaties. They're, they're likely going to be demilitarized. And I, I wonder if that just means that there won't be any more Galar class ships uh, in, in any sort of Cardassian fleet. I also kind of picture a lot of the planets that they've conquered over the centuries. They, they uh, break away. They, they don't want to be part of the Cardassian Union. And that's just all up in my head. You know, I picture their Cardassians kind of differently than what the show is depicting on a holodeck program, mind you. One that, <laughs> um, and it appeared as if it was taking place during the Dominion War, just based on the stations that were there. And there was even, I think, you know that Miranda-class uh, starship that they uh, they showcased for us, which was like a beautiful sight and kind of a throwback to the TOS film era. But uh, I believe it did destroy at least one Jem'Hadar ship. So that kind of tells me, that program is what meant to take place during the Dominion War. Right. And this is why you're on this show, Tyler, is because your mastery of DS9 and the mythology of the Dominion War far surpasses mine. So props to you for picking up on all of that. <laughs> it, it's never made me any money. <laughs> I can relate. I can relate to many things in my life with that being the case. Yeah. But um, yeah. I, I think here the reason it works, though, is just visually... When we are shown Cardassians like this, we instantly recognize them as villains. And I think in this very quick, you know, grab you intro, that's what they're looking for is a very easily identifiable kind of, um, you know, good versus bad scenario that Mariner can triumph in. I, I did like Boimler or holographic Boimler's line uh, <laughs> when he shows up being tortured. And he's like, they keep showing me lights. <laughs> like, uh, that, that was funny that was funny I, 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 we might be dragging on the uh, the premiere a little bit but that, that was legit funny were you surprised at how few sort of nods there were to treks past in this episode like i don't i'm not asking for you know fan service through every episode i think that would get tiring but i was a little surprised just in the premiere that there wasn't as much as i'm even used to from lower decks yeah i guess there is a shout out to gary mitchell um which I think they gave him a shout out in the season finale or maybe uh, one of the closing moments in uh, an episode from season one. I didn't really think that they were going to keep bringing him up. Is Gary Mitchell really that revered amongst fandom camp? No, but uh, I think 
Gary Mitchell, I feel like, had a little bit of a bump in that a lot of fans were excited that he might be the villain of Into Darkness. And I also believe that the uh, Kelvinverse um, produced a, a comic book along the way, a prequel to the 2009 film that featured Gary Mitchell. So I guess he's a character that's kind of been bubbling around the periphery of Star Trek fandom, but he hasn't been one to get the full resurgence. Uh, I think we're all crossing our fingers that that's going to come soon, though. We we haven't uh, seen, say, Gary Mitchell cosplay at the uh, conventions we've been to, though, have we? I'm not saying it hasn't appeared. I, I just don't know if I've ever witnessed it myself. No, I don't think so. Uh, and, yeah, because you know, it would be a fun... Put in the contact lenses, you know? And, yeah. Uh, you know. Well, do you think we could see Gary Mitchell pop up on Strange New Worlds? Like, are we due yeah. for a Gary Mitchell reappearance? Oh, that's a very good question. You know, it, it's pre-God, Gary Mitchell. You know, uh, that would be fun. Uh, I My suspicion, though, is it'd probably be closer to uh, season four or five than season one. Um, just because, like, like it, it, it's unclear to me with, with regards to the, the timeline of when the show is going to be. I guess it's a few years after The Cage, though, right? Yes. Okay, so then what does that mean with regards to, like, Kirk being aboard the ship and Gary also being aboard the ship? Because Kirk and Gary are friends, and does Kirk bring him on, or does Gary just happen to be on the ship serving when Kirk came aboard? I I, I know I'm just, you know, going down this rabbit's hole, and you asked a very simple question, but what, what are your thoughts about the potential for uh, Gary Mitchell to uh, be on Strange New Worlds? He's a weird character in that he's low-level iconic. Obviously, the fact that this show is shouted about multiple times shows that that character is sort of in the minds of people working on Star Trek right now. Like, he's he's out there, uh, more so than maybe some of the other icons of TOS. But he's also really underexplored in that we've seen him in God mode and him having a lot of <laughs> borderline pervy conversations with Kirk, but there's not a lot to that character. So... It could be an interesting way into an episode or maybe an arc where you introduce that character and give us some actual backstories to who this guy is. Because honestly, beyond the silver eyes, I can't tell you that much about Gary Mitchell. So I, I agree. Like, I don't think that's a um, <laughs> pilot episode of uh, of Strange New Worlds. They're like, folks, we're starting with the Gary Mitchell arc. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. I'm super disappointed that he didn't show up in Into Darkness just so we could have a villain in a blockbuster movie in which the villain's name was Gary. Mm, yeah, yeah. And honestly, if you cast Benedict Cumberbatch as Gary Mitchell, less problematic. <laughs> true, true, yeah. But I just remember when it was revealed on The Office that uh, Michael's uh, full name was Michael Gary Scott. And there's nothing fundamentally funny about it, just Gary's a funny name. Yeah, it's so of that era, right? Because you've also got Gary Seven, who I believe you and I have mixed up Gary Mitchell and Gary Seven's names a few times just in discussing these characters. I, there's I can there's too it, many yeah. Garys, too many Garys on TOS. But yeah, like I think we could see a Gary Mitchell show up. I'm wondering maybe in like season two of Strange New Worlds. You know how with like Discovery, season one, they kind of want to set up their own world. Um, we did have Klingons, but for the most part, they stuck to their own mythology and building it up. And then in season two, we got more of the Enterprise, Pike, Spock. So maybe like a Gary Mitchell character could pop up in season two just to give it a little bit of that boost for fandom. I could see that. What are we doing with the character, though? Because it's pre-God Gary. Mm -hmm. So is he just there because 
people know fans know his name or is it maybe setting him up for kind of a uh, almost a tragic character and that we know what his ultimate destiny is although we also have that with pike going on at the same time yeah i don't think you can do a lot that's you know super dramatic with him because ultimately we know the fate as you said uh i think it would have to be something more of a personality showcase where he shows up for like an episode or two in some sort of Starfleet role and maybe has a relationship with Pike we could work with. Like make that sort of the function is him being a lower ranking officer working with Pike. Th that would be, I think, what we would hope for there. Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> uh, we, we digress just because I, I, I wonder if our enthusiasm for the uh, season premiere wasn't quite what uh, we were hoping for at this point. But um well, we've, we've never had the Gary Mitchell conversation, so this episode led to it, so props to that, I suppose. Well, let me ask you this. Okay, so, like, I, I noticed whenever I get to the end credits of Lower Decks, I, I always keep my eyes open for the guest stars, and I'm usually surprised, you know, like, um, you know, the kid from The Sixth Sense, uh, what's his name, Cam? Uh, oh, Haley Joel Osment. Yeah. Haley Joel Osment was in an episode, you know, uh, that sort of stuff. Then I noticed, like, Randall Park, uh, he played the... Uh, Abrogosian leader and when I watched it the first time I, I had no clue and then it was the second time it was so obvious that it was Randall Park's voice but I, I let me ask you this Jonathan Frakes gets the special guest star mm -hmm. Jonathan Frakes credit but I, I, I know we all love Star Trek I, I, I know all the people listening are really into Star Trek but is Randall Park actor director writer Randall Park is he not a bigger name in Hollywood than one Jonathan Frakes in Hollywood Yes. In the world of Star Trek, no. I think, like, that's sort of the... What's going on with Frakes here is that they can throw his name, um, it, that special credit, because all of fandom's excited to hear Jonathan Frakes on this episode, and that's what they can market. I mean, I don't know if they marketed that for this episode, but they can market that in other episodes. Whereas, I guess, if you drop Jonathan Frakes in a Randall Park film, I don't think he's getting the special guest credit. It'd be amazing if it's a, a Randall Park film and uh, Jonathan Frakes is like second build on that. <laughs> it's the two of them on the poster, they're floating heads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just curious because it, it's all negotiated by you know, agents and all that. My suspicion, though, is Randall Park uh, was uh, somebody offered him a, a chance to come in do a voice on Star Trek animated series. He's like, that sounds cool. He's not going to get his agent to negotiate some sort of vanity, you know, guest star title or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, plus this is being recorded during the pandemic, so it's probably just on Zoom, right? Uh, yeah, like, rather than going into a studio, I, I, I'd i assume, well, I don't know, uh, like, when were the voices recorded yeah. at, at this point? And, and like, because Americans had the opportunity to get vaccinated earlier uh, than the Canadians, even though there are now, now more Canadians vaccinated than Americans. So that... The reason I, I, I bring that up, though, is because the animation is done up here in Vancouver, and I wonder how that affects, that remote working affects what might be going on with uh, in-person studio recordings of audio down in L.A., you know, if people are kind of looser about restrictions at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. I feel, well, they usually record the, okay, I know, like, in the, you know, the Disney world, they record the voices long before the animation. So... Like, I would imagine if that was the case with Lower Decks, it would have been recorded during probably pandemic restrictions, which would yeah, point towards okay. the Zoom thing. Uh, I don't know if their process is different, but that would be my guess. 
Okay. Hey, speaking of Riker, I, I just want to emphasize this. Uh, I, I I believe we brought it up uh, during the season finale of season one, but uh, the Titan, that, that is a gorgeous looking ship. It's majestic. It looks um, as if it's meant to go exploring and could just as easily uh, defend itself when need be. Uh, I can't tell you how eager I am to land myself one of those uh, Eagle Moss model ships one of these days of the USS Titan. Have they put out Titan Eagle Moss before? I don't know because I don't think we've ever seen the Titan in canon yeah, prior exactly. to the finale. Even though I think people kind of expected the design that we got in the finale. And I could be wrong, but like I, I believe the Titan was supposed to be featured in Star Trek Nemesis. And I believe that there was at least some preliminary artwork done for the ship's design before it was ultimately kind of cut from the very end it was just one of those kind of goodbye scenes as Riker moves off to his first command so yeah I I, I don't believe there's been an Eagle Moss ship yet now do you think they're going to do what Discovery did at the start of season three where the first episode all about Burnham second episode the other crew on with the cowboy and what have you I don't even remember what was going on there but do you think with this episode, this episode's about introducing us to the crew of the Cerritos, episode two is going to be set on the Titan? That's what my guess is. You know, there might be kind of a uh, very similar to kind of the, the, the brief appearances that we had of Boimler, both in holographic and flesh form. We might get that uh, next week with uh, the Cerritos crew and then just focus mainly on uh, Boimler and Riker as uh, I, it, it is kind of interesting, kind of the dichotomy between what you're seeing with the low stakes sort of stuff going on in the Cerritos versus uh, what you're seeing on the Titan, which is more of those kind of flagship uh, Enterprise D sorts of adventures as well. Yes, yeah, so, uh, Boimler looks like he's really enjoying it from what we've seen so far. I think that could be honestly like comic gold next week. Like I'm hoping... This one was kind of just the slow reminder of, hey, people, we're back. Remember Lower Decks? And, like, next week can be more of the, we are on a new location. We're dealing with, uh, you know, Riker, Boimler, and hopefully some other new characters on the Titan. And it's kind of more of an explosion of imagination because we're working with a whole new environment, whole new characters, and just scenarios that would not happen on the normal show Lower Decks. I don't want to keep dragging on the season premiere, but I, like... Why are they kind of doing like this reset of, of, of uh, reminding us all where the characters are? Like, I can understand if this is network television back in the 90s. This show is being specifically uh, made for Paramount Plus, a streaming service. Paramount Plus wants binge watching. They want to build a library. The expectation is that, you know, people are just watching these all in a row. Are people going to be that confused if uh, they're tuning into season two? And maybe it's even just been like a couple months or, you know, I, I think the finale was um, back in October of last year. Yeah. You know, I, I just it's kind of like they can't really decide what they want to do here. I don't get it either. I, I As you said, in the 90s, this makes sense. But nowadays, um, we expect people to keep track of far geekier things than just the character relationships on lower decks, you know. Think of, you know, the fans showing up for each consecutive Marvel film or, or shows like Game of Thrones or just all of the, you know, kind of geek-centric stuff out there in terms of pop culture. The audiences have caught up sophistication-wise. We don't have to handhold them through these sorts of things. I just thought it was so strange that so much of this episode was about, folks, remember this show. Remember what these relationships are. Remember who these characters are. It's like, yeah, 
We know. It's okay. Don't worry. This isn't complex stuff. This is not, you know, 47 characters at the end of Endgame. <laughs> or it's not season two of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> yeah, that, that we were a little confused. <laughs> that is where I, I wish they did a little bit of hand-holding with uh, the sphere data and the Red Angel and the character dynamics. We, we're, we I, I found myself, you and I are, are I, I would say, kind of sophisticated when it comes to watching. We, we can follow along what's going on, even though we've made mistakes here on the show. Season two, I found quite convoluted, and we did not have that problem with season three of uh, Discovery. We had other problems with it, but it wasn't following the narrative arc of the season overall. So. I, I do find it interesting taking notes on episodes, which I know the average fan is not doing, but it's kind of like when we were doing the Culber uh, stuff in season two and going through and actually taking notes and tracking what was happening episode to episode and making fairly fairly thorough, you know, jottings as to what was going on and then actually comparing, you know, kind of the flow of how that evolved and going, wait a second, this is insane versus when you just have characters spouting it out really quickly and you're listening going, okay, um, okay, okay you tend to have it fly over your head really easily. And that's something Discovery is very guilty of. But I don't think Lower Decks is, which is why I found it really kind of confusing that they were doing that, because I actually think that's something you and I have complimented. You know, the show was a little frantic when it first started, but by and large, its storytelling has been pretty classic Star Trek in terms of how they give you the information, how it pays off. It doesn't feel radically different from the way they would be doing storytelling in, you know, the Berman era. This episode seemed more frantic than maybe the preceding, you know, four or five episodes, though. Like, that's maybe another um, point against it. Uh, that's, this one just kind of irked us in a way that uh, we weren't expecting, because I think we were so pumped leading off from uh, the previous episode of the, the season one finale. Well, it was so ambitious, right? And there, okay, how do you feel about the way they dealt with the Mariner and um, Freeman relationship by the end of this. Did it feel a little bit like a, a little bit of a reset button to you? Yeah. And it's like, I wish, you know, like how, how frequently are they going to pull the uh, two steps forward? And in this case, two steps back <laughs> kind of a uh, card. Like uh, that could be frustrating. And, and I know what the deal is. Like it, it's an animated series, you know, but uh, there are other shows, you know, like Bo Bojack Horseman or Rick and Morty that, that are kind of pushing the envelope, you know, with regards to where characters end up. E even like, you know, South Park's been on the air for like 24 seasons now, 25 seasons. And, you know, characters have gone through divorces or there's backstories to reference. And it doesn't feel as if they kind of have to reset it, um, you know, every single week, even on a show like South Park, which like those kids would be well into their 30s at this point. Mm -hmm. And I think they have a bit of an issue here where I think the show, they want to keep these characters as lower decks characters, but you have a character like Mariner who's in her way incredibly capable and someone who the show keeps pushing up towards the, you know, the, the higher ranks and then pulling her back. And I, I don't know that that's sustainable. Like that's a thing that's going to get frustrating if they constantly have this character showcasing her abilities, which we've seen time and time again, be very strong. And often, you know, um, Star Trek loves to have the captain always be right. And many times Mariner's always right on the show. She has very unconventional approaches to how she gets the job done, but it usually will prove that she had the right solution. And can this character be rewarded for that? Or does that break the concept of the show that we want to see you know, characters like her and Boimler, Tendi, etc., basically at the bottom looking up. Well, that 
maybe leads me to what Boimler's journey might have to be for part of the season. But in my head, like I expect him to eventually land back on the Cerritos and maybe that's because he gets demoted from, you know, Lieutenant junior grade. And again, it goes back to kind of that reset button. Like how long can this show kind of be sustainable if the characters don't have that upward mobility that we've seen in other Star Trek series, save for poor Harry Kim. <laughs> and I wouldn't have minded if they just established these are Lower Decks characters. They got many years to go before they're looking at any sort of promotion. But the show has actually not written them that way. The show's written them to be constantly highlighted as people that are performing well and sh you know worthy of advancement. If this had been like a year one, day one kind of show, I think you could have... <sighs> kept this going more in terms of them being Lower Decks characters without the audience asking questions as to, wait, if Mariner is so capable, why, like, is she just going to constantly do the same thing where she gets, you know, basically into the good graces of Freeman and then basically butts heads with her and gets demoted again? Like, if, she, if this had been day one for her, then we wouldn't have those sorts of questions. So what you are pitching then is a uh, Reg Barkley prequel series, right? Uh, yes, I'm hoping that uh, CBS and Paramount have gotten my letters and my concept art, which is very thorough. They could also uh, throw in Alt's version of Picard from Tapestry in which he's in the blue uniform and he's only made it to Lieutenant <laughs> Junior Grade after about 40 years in Starfleet. <laughs> hey, I'd be down for that. <laughs> bring back yeah. Blue Picard in his own spinoff series. Can you imagine if they got Patrick Stewart? Bring him back for that. <laughs> Hey, he did the uh, the voices on American Dad, so uh, I'm sure he could do some more voice work here. Who else might you think would, would kind of fit the bill for like a true Lower Decks uh, series in which there is very limited mobility for the characters beyond just Barkley and uh, Loser Picard from Tapestry? Hmm. Boy, um, I'm racking my brain to think of like, I mean, we could just bring back some of the characters from the original Lower Decks episode on TNG. They were fun. Sam Lavelle's never really uh, made it uh, that much further than Ensign, right? No, I, I don't think so. Not the but way he was going. He did take over Cito Jax's role by the end, though, right? Like, in which uh, she was up kind of for the promotion and he got it uh, because she passed on. Or she was, well, yeah disappeared. Yeah. yeah. It'd be great if Sam Lavelle uh, shows up on the Titan. Well, like, I think it would be just fun to bring all those characters over onto Lower Decks. I mean, it's an animated show. It doesn't matter that the actors have aged. They could voice them all again. I think that could be a blast. Yeah. Um, the uh, Nurse Agawa right there. Like, uh, she could be Dr. Agawa at this point, perhaps. Sure. Sure. Why don't they do that? Do you think that's in the cards at one point to actually bring those characters over in some way? <laughs> Would it just be depressing that they would have to reminisce about their uh, good friend Cito Jaxa who uh, disappeared <laughs> on that uh, suicide mission like uh, decades ago? <laughs> is Ben the Waiter do a comeback? I think he is. I, I think yeah. Ben the Waiter is a very much underrated character and like he was so easily able to glide you know, between the, uh, the Lower Decks crew and the senior staff. He called uh, Riker... Will, for example, and, and Sam Lavelle could not believe that uh, some guy had the balls to call, you know, the, the first officer on the flagship Will. But uh, <laughs> what does Sam the waiter care? He's a civilian. I wonder if we could get a character like that on this show, because we don't really have one yet. Kind of the the Quark or the Neelix or yeah. the chef of the series, like the one who's 
you know, kind of doing his own or her own thing aboard the ship, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and exactly would have the relationships with the lower and the upper, so you could get the perspective from both yeah. sides. We 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 haven't. Okay, I, I'm still kind of annoyed that the Cerritos Bar doesn't have a name. It's just called the Bar. Um, I wonder if we could explore that more because do you, I I don't imagine it's actually like a commissioned officer behind the bar serving drinks. Do you? That would seem to be a pretty uh, <laughs> lousy assignment if you're in Starfleet. Like you want to explore the galaxy, and they're like. Can you mix drinks? Can you do a Tom Cruise in cocktail? Yeah, yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> Reference for my 80s kids out there. That, that'd actually be the best assignment. <laughs> that actually would. I actually, uh, when I went to a bar in Las Vegas once, it was the outdoor bar outside Harrah's. Uh, they had the, the bar guys doing those like crazy tricks where they're like flipping ice cubes and like spinning bottles. It was quite impressive, I got to say. So props to Tom Cruise for learning how to do that for cocktail. I'm just picturing you walking up to the bar and saying, one Coke Zero, please. <laughs> that was basically me. I did sit at the bar most of the evening watching this and, uh, yeah, drinking Coke after Coke. <laughs> uh, listeners, for those that don't know, uh, the joke is Cam does not drink alcohol. So uh, there you go. Um, That's right. What would you do at the uh, the Cerritos bar then? Would you just kind of be chilling uh, with, with the crew, or I don't know? Like it doesn't look as fun as say I don't know Corks or even Ten Forward, which seemed already kind of dull. Yeah, well, a Ten Forward looked kind of dull, but I also could accept that as just maybe there's some production issues. They want it quiet just because it's easier for shooting. They didn't want to pipe in music, so it made it look a little tranquil. That's fine. Um, Quark's Bar, I thought, managed to get across the idea that this place is a little rowdy without going crazy on your production budget. But, like, Lower Decks is an animated show. They could do anything. Anything. And so far, it's actually looked, I don't know, pretty quiet, underpopulated, uh, not a lot in terms of visual appeal. Um, I think we could do some things with the bar. Or, you know what, we don't even have to, like, change up the bar. We could also have another like recreation location on the vehicle or on the ship, I should say, that we could go hang out at as well. Like make that more fun and exciting. Well, like Ensign Barnes made the reference to cetacean ops, you know, if everyone's just going to go diving with uh, the whales, you know, any given time, then uh, I, 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 that could actually be more of a fun hangout place than just like this dull bar where nobody does anything. Well, yeah, and you saw how Voyager struggled with that, right? Like they had the Shapery, which was kind of sad, and then they had the beach, and the beach was actually really visually interesting. It was a fun location for the characters. I think you want that. Like, you want those moments where essentially the, the characters can, you know, loosen their ties or unbuckle their collars or whatever and just hang out in a fun environment. And I think Lord X has still not quite gotten there. We haven't established our iconic hangout locale, but I think we need one. Enterprise had the movie room, which you and I have griped about, but at least it was memorable visually. I'm hoping we can get that. I mean, again, this is an animated show. The sky is the limit. There's no money impeding what you can create in a visual, you know, or on a frame of the, what this show looks like. So, like, do something fun. Do something crazy. If it's, like, a pod of whales swimming around them at the, uh, you know, the swimming pools, great. Go for it. Uh, the best that Discovery has managed in three seasons is the crew watching uh, Buster Keaton shorts, uh, and it results in maniacal laughter. For some reason. When there was a gas leak, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've got that and we've got the mess hall, right? Like scenes of them joking around in the mess hall. That, that's the mess hall? I thought it was Ikea. <laughs> well, might as well be. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not visually distinct, uh, which is weird because when you jump to these new Kurtzman shows, um, they have a lot more money to work with. So it's not like the days where they're scraping things together in terms of building quarks or uh, 10 forward. Yeah. Look, we've been doing this the last few weeks. I, I wouldn't mind talking to you a little bit about kind of uh, the uh, the convention scene amongst Star Trek fandom. But a- any final thoughts on this episode before we jump over to that? There's two. Uh, one that I, wa- I think is kind of important to talk about, which is the Tendi Rutherford story here, which I thought was pretty bad. Yeah, And um, it, it seemed weirdly reminiscent of the Cupid's Errant Arrow, where you had... The male character is starting to date someone, and the female character starts looking obsessive, and there's reasons to do with neurological activity going on with the male character, but it looks weird, and it's like, why are we replicating this twice? It seemed this time, like, borderline just bad writing. Uh, It's also just uh, making Tendi look like a profoundly uh, unethical medical officer uh, in what she's trying to administer medical procedures against the will of a patient, you know? Like, um, that's malpractice right there. Yeah, so I, I really thought this was the low light of the episode. As much as we kind of said they didn't do a whole lot with, you know, God Ransom, um, this was the part where I was like, ooh, this is not working at all. This should have been scrapped. Um, the things I did like, though, was um, I thought seeing Dr. Tana have more to do was actually fun. Seeing her beamed on to this planet trying to deal with the Ransom uh, character. I just like Dr. Tana, and giving her more screen time is always a plus for me. I, I'm not necessarily on the Dr. Tana train. I, I She seems like a very popular character, and um, I, I think I need uh, a little bit more from her, but um, she seems, like, well-beloved amongst, you know, fans at large. It just it hasn't quite clicked for me yet. Okay, well, maybe another episode will do it. And lastly, here's a fun exercise I thought we could do. Let's rank the giant flying heads of Star Trek. <laughs> so, <laughs> we have Ransom in this episode. We have God from Star Trek V. We've got Nagillum in Where Silence Has Least from TNG. Are there any others I'm missing? Um, none that spring to mind. So I will, from the bottom, I would put Nagillum at number three. Then I do Ransom number two. And then uh, God in all his glory from Star Trek V, <laughs> The Final Frontier. That's number one for me, baby. Yeah, I, I think I agree with your rankings. Um... I like the visual of Nagillum, but where where Silence Has Least is an episode with nothing positive going for it. Uh, I think God does get the edge for me in that it, it, visually it's pretty impressive, just the design. But also, I'll just never forget the sound coming out of its mouth as it's flying at Kirk. That's just comic gold. In fact, I probably laughed harder at the flying God head in Star Trek V than I did at the Ransom head in this episode. Although him trying to eat the ship was kind of an amusing visual, though. I'll I'll give them that. Yeah, I agree. That's a good point. So, uh, Cam, by the time this episode drops, uh, it'll be on Sunday, and that's when the big Star Trek convention in Las Vegas will be wrapping. You and I will not be there. I I think uh, we were... I don't know, a little bit wary about uh, traveling internationally. It is possible uh, for us as Canadians to fly down to the United States and do that, but it's just very impractical at this point. And we just, uh, with with surging caseloads uh, in Nevada and uh, you know across North America now at this point, I just don't think we felt comfortable. I am curious how this unfolds because I, I think it'll give us um, confidence about uh, what plans may be 
next summer for Vegas uh, for trips there and also for the upcoming uh, Chicago convention as well. That's going to be the official uh, Star Trek convention. Um, I, I don't have that feeling of FOMO that I thought I was going to have. Though. I just it, like the thought of going down there right now doesn't necessarily uh, get me revved up like it has in years past. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Um, obviously, we've had the precursor of, and at the time we record this, we're on, we just completed day two of the con. But um, you had this whole lead up of like actors dropping out like crazy. Just today, Jerry uh, Ryan dropped out. So, And we are recording on Thursday right after uh, Lower Decks has aired. Yeah. So actors have just been kind of bailing left, right, and center. And I'm, you know, that to me kind of makes it, a little less exciting but also just you know people have been posting photos and you know it just it has a little bit of that sparser look than it doesn't look like i'm missing a party let me put it that way <laughs> and uh, there's also the aspect and this is the first year the the in quite a while that the vegas con has not had cbs backing it's not the official star trek con and so one of my favorite things about going to stlv as it used to be called was just sort of soaking up the atmosphere of Star Trek. You're walking down the hall. There's, like, banners hanging up of all the classic characters. There's art on the walls, whether it's um, copies of those posters that were done on, you know, the TNG um, episodes a while back, or the art prints, or, um, you know, um, concept art from the motion picture. The music of Star Trek is filling the hallways. There's something about soaking up that sort of ambiance of Star Trek that I just find... It's kind of magical in the same way I do walking into Disneyland. And, like, this year, CBS isn't backing that. So, like, things are really different. The artwork is kind of non-Trek specific. It's banners of the actors. Um, I've seen some of the artwork for, like, the uh, the bar they're doing called Jimmy's Place. It's kind of a Scotty image, sort of. It's a little off-model, just enough so that there's not a legal issue. I'm wondering what the music like is like in the hallways. Um... You're kind of not soaking up Star Trek atmosphere, it feels like, so much as science fiction and beyonce, I guess. <laughs> there is that poster uh, you, you uh, showed me a picture of in which it's just, it says, we are one, one are we. And it's like on this <laughs> giant poster and there's like some non-specific emblem on it. And like, what does that even mean? It has nothing to do with Star Trek. No, it's like trying to capture this atmosphere of, general science fiction i suppose um <laughs> and, and look i'm sure that if you attend the panels that's not the case i'm sure everyone on stage is talking all about star trek and there's probably a lot of excitement just to be in the room for those talks or you know the concerts and what have you um but it does sort of affect my as you said the fomo of not being there because the feeling that I would get those past years, I know isn't present. Even the the Borg regeneration chambers that you could have photo ops in, they've repainted them so they don't look like they're from Star Trek anymore. They're kind of blue. Oh, really? It's like, yeah, they're like blue now and they've done some alterations to make them not quite look like they're just, uh, well, like they were as intended, supposed to be uh, replicas of, um, you know, the, the Borg chambers on Star Trek. So I, I feel like the thing that I'm missing I couldn't quite get back. So ultimately what I'm left with is I miss seeing the panels. I miss hanging out with all my friends who we normally, you know, only get to see in Las Vegas. But beyond that, I'm, I'm okay just sitting back and watching and 
getting more of a sense because next year's at Bally's and it's four days as opposed to five. But I'm what I'm doing is using this con to kind of um, recalibrate my expectations from what future creation uh, Trek cons will be. Yeah, for, for those that don't know, as long as we've been going to the convention, it's been held at the Rio Hotel, which will be undergoing a much, much needed renovations over the next year. What are you year. talking about, Tyler? <laughs> and so then it'll be shifted over to Bally's for at least one year. I think they just want to test it out, see it goes, and see where renovations are for the Rio uh, when we go to 2023. I'm curious uh, about what Bally's might mean for it. Um, you know, I... I, I from the looks of it, like it seems as if they're doing everything they can to keep it safe. You know, whether it is mask mandates, um, requirements about vaccinations, and if you're not fully vaccinated, uh, you'll have to show proof of uh, COVID negative tests. Um, they're holding photo ops outdoors. There's the option of plexiglass for w whatever the actor prefers as well. So, look, maybe if it isn't our idea of uh, maximum fun. I think this is kind of a good test run about like how a convention of the future might just have to be because I don't think COVID's necessarily going away. And I think you and I, uh, as long as we keep getting booster shots if they're needed, uh, I, I think maybe we can be more confident uh, moving forward that uh, it'll be worth all the money that we're putting into these uh, uh, big vacations every year. Yeah, and I do take a little bit of... Um confidence in the future just in the sense of the photos i've seen while it seems like one of the more underpopulated attendants uh in terms of these cons things seem to generally be kind of the same as i expect you know the panels are still operating people are still hanging out in the vendors room uh, i will say creation has a really beautiful looking um big giant screen now as their backdrop on their main stage i'd love to see in action but in terms of the con experience it looks like the elements that are ultimately rewarding for me to be there to see are still operating. So I'm not worried about, you know, whether uh, 2022 will be a disaster or not. I just think, as you said, it's kind of going to be a new world. We need to realign what our expectations are just in terms of, as you said, plexiglass and photo ops may be a thing for a lot of actors for the next year or two or three or who really knows at this point. Um, maybe we'll all be living in plexiglass in a handful of years. I have no idea anymore. I don't make predictions on these things, but yeah, I can adjust to things like that. So if anything, sitting out this year's con has kind of just allowed me to sit back and go, okay, if that's the con of the future, I'm okay with that. Uh, and the other thing is like, what if you arrived this year and what would be going through your entire, uh, your head the entire time though, is that you're like, uh, this is costing me just as much, if not more, than previous Vegas cons, and I just am not quite getting the same experience. Yeah, yeah, and that would be frustrating for sure, because I, I don't know how prices are going to go in the future of these Star Trek cons, but they're not going down so far. And you and I have seen sort of the price points, you know, what you kind of get for your money drop in past years, so it's something that I, I do worry about just in terms of STOV is that they're going to charge an arm and a leg. And then you're also not going to give people that sort of Star Trek ambiance that a lot of them are used to. It gets tougher to charge those big high, high ticket prices. It'd be great if they start pumping the uh, hallways full of Star Wars music instead. 
but it's like that um, Jabba song from the redone version of Return of the Jedi. Jedi rocks. Uh, are you the one performing like uh, whoever that lady was, uh, like with those big lips? Size noodles? Sure. <laughs> well, there was also that CG character they added who literally ran up and sang into the camera in that special edition. It's an awful song, and I'm going to use it as our outro music this episode. Okay. Thank you very okay. much. Perfect. <laughs> So I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod and let us know what you thought of the premiere episode of Season 2 Lower Decks. Was it better than The Child? That is my question to you. <laughs> or was it better than Evolution? Mm, good one. Yeah, Evolution. So Tyler, what are we doing next week? Yeah, so... Uh, look, it's August. We're kind of on vacation mode. Uh, we'll be uh, out of town at various times. So our schedules don't exactly line up. We're not going to follow up immediately with episode two of Lower Decks. Instead, uh, we just did a, uh, the rankings of the greatest of the great Star Trek episodes, Cam. Now we're going to do rankings of the worst of the worst. And I think that will be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll, that, that'll kind of be in our bank. We'll drop that next week. And then we'll follow up the week after with back-to-back reviews of episodes two and three of Star Trek Lower Deck. So don't worry, uh, just because uh, we, we don't do a review next week, uh, it's not because we weren't huge fans of uh, the, the premiere. That's it. I'm out on this show. Forget it. <laughs> Discovery Season 4 is all I have to hope for. <laughs> Don't forget Star Trek Prodigy. Prodigy as well. Okay, you can, of course, find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam. V is in Vernillion Gratitude Mask. Smith. And you can find me at Reportin. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N-N, as in Nightingale Woman. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Transfer complete.